I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Genesis. We began last week a series walking through verse by verse the book of Genesis. And this morning we find ourselves at Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. And the message is entitled, Rest. I don't know if you came in this morning a bit tired a bit worn out from the week that's gone by. But the message this morning is entitled Rest. I want us to look at what does it mean for God in Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 to talk about rest and then as we look through the scriptures to unpack this idea of rest, of Sabbath, of ceasing and finding fulfillment ultimately in the Lord. Figured it'd be fun this morning to start off this way. How many of you who are here with us this morning are parents of a baby up through preschooler? Just lift your hand up, baby up through preschooler. Keep them up. Church, this is who we need to pray for. Right? Amen on that? I remember when our girls were that age, they are now 13 and 11, and We worked really hard. Well, let me rephrase that. My wife worked really hard to have them on a schedule so that every afternoon we had rest time or nap time, which is simply we don't want them to melt down at the end of the day, and so we put them to bed so that they can get it out there, right? Here's the question for each of us as we gather here this morning. What about us? What about you and I? When we think about this idea of rest, when we think about what it means for us to simply cease in the presence of God and rest. For us this morning as we look at the text, and what I want you to know is that we're going to read the text this morning, and then I want to encourage you, leave yourself some space, because we're going to walk this morning, first and foremost, in Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3, we're going to look at the God who rests in this passage, and then we're going to walk our way a bit through the pages of Scripture. We're going to look at Israel and their rest, God's people. We're going to look at Christians and what it means for us to rest and to find our rest in the Lord. And then ultimately, we're going to look at the end at eternal rest. So for you and for, I, for me this morning, we have the privilege. You can go to work tomorrow. You can go to school. You can say, my pastor preached Genesis to Revelation yesterday. Some of y'all are like, I didn't pack a lunch, pastor. I promise we'll walk through it together. And as we finish this morning, my hope, my prayer for us is that we will truly see That it is in God alone that we find our rest. Let me read the text for us and then we'll begin to walk back through it together. Genesis chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. This is what the scripture records. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy 
because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Father, we ask this morning that You would open our eyes that we would be able to see, and You would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that You would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to Your Word and to Your Spirit this morning. We ask that all in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. As we look at the text this morning, I want you to write down this main idea. It'll frame our time together as we walk through the Scriptures this morning. And it's this truth. We find sustaining rest in God alone. We find sustaining rest for our souls in God alone. Augustine, in his book Confessions, highlights this truth. He said, in fact, God, you made us for yourself. And we only find rest for our hearts in you. I don't know about you, but... For me, I know rest is not something I do well. In fact, if I could figure out a way to never sleep and to just keep going, I would attempt that. My wife can tell you that there's times she goes, listen, you need to take a nap because you're cranky. You need to rest. You may read about someone who only needs five hours of sleep. That's not you. You need to rest. I want you to notice this morning that as we're beginning this journey from Genesis to Exodus and then into the New Testament and then at the end in Revelation for every single one of us, we desperately need to find rest for our souls. And the scripture paints the portrait for us that that rest only is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want us to look first at God and rest, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If you remember last week, if you were here, if you weren't, you can always go back and listen to the messages online. But last week we looked at the God of creation. We looked at this beginning story of how God spoke all of creation into existence by his very word. That God, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, that God speaks creation into existence. On the first three days, He forms the space, and then on the next three days, He fills that space. And we looked at just the beauty of what it means to worship a God who simply speaks all of creation into existence. A God that is that powerful to do that. And then, at the end in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, Scripture says God saw everything that He had created. And behold, it was very good. Everything that God had created was very good. There was evening. There was morning on the sixth day. And then... Verse 1 of chapter 2. The heavens and the earth were finished. God was done with His creation. And His creation was very good. And verse 2, on the seventh day, God 
finished his work that he had done. And listen, he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So for six days in our week, Sunday through Friday, God had worked, God had created, God had spoken all of creation into existence. And then on day seven, the scripture says he ceases. He stops. Creation is done. He rested. Now here's what we know about God. God doesn't need rest like we need rest. Like the toddler needs rest. Like the adult needs rest. God God is not like us. God never grows tired. God never grows weary. God is omnipotent. He has all power. God is omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere sustaining all of creation together. He doesn't need to rest. And yet, he rests on the seventh day. Why would God do that? Why would he pause in this act of creation on the seventh day specifically and cease creation? Not only that though, look at how it continues. Verse 3. Not only did God just simply stop and rest. But verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and He made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all of His work that He had done in creation. So not only did God just simply cease and rest from the creation... But he specifically says about this seventh day, this is a special day. This is a blessed day. This is a holy day. And in fact, for the rest of Genesis chapter 2 and even in the beginning parts of Genesis chapter 3, God enjoys simply being with his creation. God has created everything that exists. And we said last week that all of creation is simply a billboard proclaiming the glory and the majesty of God. And God, after creating all of that, just simply rests and enjoys His creation. What's interesting is His creation has the privilege to enjoy Him as well. To simply rest in Him. The Creator, the Sustainer, the One who has made all of this possible. Adam and Eve in the garden had the privilege of walking with God in the cool of the day, the Scripture tells us. And all of creation has the privilege simply to to be in the presence of the Lord. To enjoy that. And we know in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to get there in a few weeks, that all of that comes to a halt when Adam and Eve sin when they choose to disobey God instead of walking in obedience to Him. And this idea of rest, this picture of them finding rest in the Lord and this picture of ultimate rest in the Lord, it's interesting in the Scriptures, we don't see this idea of ceasing from work, of resting in the Lord until 
we find our way to Exodus chapter 20. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we see God institute this ceasing, this resting. We see that God's creation enjoys Him, that they're able to spend time with Him, to walk in intimate relationship with Him. And then we really don't see much at all about this idea of Sabbath, this idea of ceasing, this idea of rest, until we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to see in just a little bit that this is one of the most beautiful pictures of ultimate rest in the Lord that God has for His people Israel. As we look at the text, when you need to know what's going on leading up to this, throughout the rest of the book of Genesis, we see God making His covenant with His people. We see God in Genesis 3.15 promising that He would send a Messiah, a Savior that would save His people from their sin. We see God's people towards the end of the book of Genesis, in fact, go into the land of Egypt and there grow prosperous under the leadership of Joseph, in fact, grow to be a great nation in Egypt. To the point that at the beginning of the book of Exodus, the Pharaoh looks and says, this is not good. They have grown in such a number that if we're not careful, they're going to take over us. So they hatched a plan in Egypt that they would take God's people and that they would make them slaves in the land of Egypt. We see in the early part of the book of Exodus how difficult and torturous this slavery was for them, that they would beat them, that they would make them work till they wasted away, till they died. There was this picture of work forever. And then God promises that he's going to lead his people from slavery in Egypt to the promised land that he has set for them. And he's going to use a man by the name of Moses to accomplish this. And the first chapters in the book of Exodus are fascinating to watch God work in incredible ways to bring that about. And then God does exactly what he says. God redeems his people. God takes his people out from slavery and into the wilderness, the journey to the promised land that he has made for them and he provides for them. He sustains them in that season. This is part of the beginning of that where God is going to give to his people the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 to say to them, me as the God who has led you out, this is how I will be worshipped. The first four commandments speak of their relationship with God and then the next six commandments, their relationship with other people and the Lord says to them the fourth commandment, their relationship with him. I want you to notice in Exodus chapter 20, it's the first real time after we see God resting on the seventh day of creation in Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3, where this idea of rest, of ceasing from work, of finding fulfillment in the Lord comes into play. This is the command the Lord gives, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, 
your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now for the people of Israel at this point, I just want you to put yourself in their shoes to think about what it must have been like to have known that you were God's chosen people, to have known that God had a plan and a purpose for you, but to have found yourself in that moment in slavery, in Egypt, not able to pause as God has outlined here and to worship Him on this sacred, holy, blessed day. In fact, for the people of Israel, as they were slaves in Egypt, it was work 24 Seven. There was never a moment for them to pause, to break, and to enjoy the presence of the Lord, to sit and to worship Him because He was deserving of worship. And it's why the Lord in Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 says to them, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Because what He knew is they had not experienced that. It had been hundreds of years of God's people in slavery not enjoying the ability to simply pause and to worship Him as Creator. And in this moment, the Lord saying to them, worship me by remembering this day. Take this day and set it aside, not to work, not to accomplish what's on your task list, but simply to worship me. To worship me as creator. The one who put all of this into motion, who spoke all of creation into existence. Worship me as creator. But for the people of Israel here, worship God as redeemer. It is God who has led them out from slavery into the journey to the promised land. In this moment, the Lord is doing something special for the people here. He's heard their heart cry. He recognizes that He has created them for worship, and they will only find ultimate fulfillment for their souls as they worship Him. And the Lord says, hey, let's pause one day a week and worship me. What we see take place is that that's exactly what God's people do. In fact, throughout the Old Testament and even into Jesus' day as we encounter in the New Testament, that's what the Lord's people do. They pause, they honor the Sabbath day, which would have been the sundown on Friday through sundown on Saturday. They would have paused in that moment and spent time worshiping the Lord, remembering who God is and what He's done. Now certainly there are moments where they didn't do that very well. There are moments when they were in captivity, they were carried off to Babylon, they weren't able to do what they have been outlined here and told by the Lord to do. And in fact, as you look in the New Testament, Jesus 
chastises the religious leaders who had taken this idea of Sabbath and instead of it being an opportunity to simply pause and to experience the beauty and the majesty of sitting in the presence of God and worshiping Him because He deserves to be worshipped. They had outlined all of these rules and regulations and things that had to be done if you were actually going to celebrate and worship the Lord. And Jesus chastises them and says that the Sabbath is not a day simply to follow rules and regulations. It's a day to rest in the Lord. You know, it's interesting when you look at this picture because all throughout the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God makes the promise that He is going to send the Messiah, the Savior, to save His people from their sin. From that moment throughout the Old Testament, leading up to Jesus coming to this earth, there is a sense of anticipation, a sense of waiting, a sense of wonder. What is God going to do? How is He going to fulfill His promise? What is that going to look like? And we see Jesus come. I want to encourage you to follow me to John chapter 19. That text will be up on the screen as well. Jesus, throughout his ministry, pointed the people to the reality that he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, that their ultimate rest for their souls will not be found in a sacrificial system that never ends, but ultimately in the sacrifice of himself. And at the end, as he is on the cross, John chapter 19, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Following this, Jesus, after paying the debt of sin that every single one of us owed on the cross, was buried. But he didn't stay there. In fact, God raised him from the dead. And that happened on the very first day of the week, on Sunday. So whereas leading up to this, the Sabbath, the ceasing, the resting in the Lord had taken place sundown on Friday through sundown on Saturday, Jesus Christ rising from the dead on Sunday for the early believers, they said, we need in this moment to pause and to rest in the finished work of what Christ has done for us on the very first day of the week, the day that he rose from the dead. In fact, in the early church, what we see take place is that happened. 
that the first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the dead, Sunday, the church gathers together and worships a God, not only who created us and desires to have a relationship with us, but a God who left eternity in the heavens, came to this earth as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem took your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross, paid our debt of sin, and then rose from the grave. So for us, every single week as we gather together, we have the opportunity simply to cease for a moment and to sit and to rest in the reality of a God who has accomplished what we could not accomplish in our own strength and our own power. Why do we come in and worship on Sunday? Why do we come in and gather and sing songs? Why do we come in and gather and worship the Lord through prayer and worship the Lord through giving and worship the Lord through His Word? Why, why do that? I know you've got things you could be doing. We do that because it gives us the privilege and the opportunity to remember who God is and what He's done. Gives us the opportunity to gather together as followers of Jesus Christ at the first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the dead, and to sing songs about that. To study His Word and to seek to live out the truth of what Christ has done in our lives as we gather together. That's why we're here. Listen, I know the statistics don't look good for church attendance in this country. I mean, what they say is the attendance is declining. People aren't coming to church. They're not interested. It, it, they're just moving on. And here's what I need for you to understand, what I want for me to understand. The issue that we experience is a loss of wonder and amazement at what Jesus Christ has done. Because we have the opportunity to gather every single week and to worship Him. We have the opportunity to pause at the beginning of the week and to say, there's a lot of things that I could be doing right now. But there is one thing above all of that that is most important to me, and that is to worship the Lord because He deserves our worship. See, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't outline for us celebrating His resurrection as if it's a duty that we have to fulfill. You're not going to earn credibility with God because you come in and worship on Sunday. God's not keeping a report card score of your attendance of how many times you show up at church on Sunday. Some of you just let out a sigh. You're like, whew. But no, what the Lord does for us is He says to us, as He did for His people here, as we see in the early church, you and I need to be reminded every single week that we serve a God who is deserving of our worship. We need to be reminded every single week of what Jesus Christ has done for us if we're followers of Jesus. Now, you may be here this morning 
and you've not yet taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, one of the things that Jesus said in His ministry is that everyone who is seeking rest will find it only in Him. For you and for me, the rest that we desperately desire for our souls is only found in Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day you need to take that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior, of receiving forgiveness for your sins, of being brought into a relationship with a Creator God who desires to have a relationship with you. As we gather here, church family, we gather because Jesus is worth our worship. But not only... Do we see the God of rest? Not only do we see Israel and its rest in Exodus chapter 20, Christians and our ultimate rest in Jesus Christ who accomplished what we could not. I want you to look at the end of the story. The text will be up on the screen for you as well. Revelation chapter 22 verses 1 through 5. Let me paint this picture for you. This is the end of of the beginning of the story. For us at this point in time, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you need some encouragement, if you just need a pick-me-up, you need a moment where you can just sit back and looking at the craziness of what's going on in the world, looking at maybe your own life and saying, man, I'm just discouraged, I'm frustrated, I don't understand. Take just a moment and read Revelation 21 and 22. Because Jesus' promise to us is that He will return for His church, that He will set up His kingdom, He will rule and reign for all eternity, that you and I, if we are in Christ, will join Him in His ultimate rule and reign for all eternity. We will experience the eternal rest for our souls. Verse 22, John writes these words, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Listen, no longer... Will there be anything accursed? But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, what we see in Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 is simply the hint of what we will experience for all eternity as we see in Revelation 22 verses 1 through 5. This is our destiny. This is where we're heading. This is where we will spend 
eternity in the presence of our Savior. And every week, we have the opportunity as we gather together as God's church here to experience just a small taste of what that's like. To be able to experience the singing and to be reminded that there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne of God singing for all eternity. For us to experience the the sliver of the truth of God's Word, though we, we struggle at times to understand it fully, but then we will be able to see our Savior face to face. This, as we gather each week, is just a taste of what is to come. Now, as we think about that, what's wonderful is John, after painting this picture at the end of the book, says, but we're not there yet. We have a mission to accomplish as His people today. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you and I have the ability, the privilege to live on mission wherever we go. For this to be the pep rally that we experience on Sunday morning to enjoy the presence of God, to be encouraged in our walk with the Lord, and then to be sent out to the mission field that God has called us where people we interact with on a day in and day out basis don't have the peace, don't have the rest for their souls in Jesus Christ that we have experienced. And you and I have the opportunity, the privilege, to help them see who Jesus Christ is. Why do we gather on Sunday? We gather on Sunday to worship a creator, a savior who deserves our worship, but then to be sent out to a mission field he's called us to live in, to share the hope of Christ in. So for you and for me, We have found, if you're a follower of Jesus, rest for your soul in Him. There are people you will encounter today, tomorrow, and through the rest of this week who've not experienced that. And you very well may be the only person who can point them to the place, the person, where they can find ultimate rest for their soul. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. Worship team will make their way back. We'll have an opportunity here at the close of this service to respond to the Lord and to His Word. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, maybe you have come in today and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. I simply want you to know today that whatever you are looking for, to satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. It will never do what only Jesus Christ can do. You have the opportunity today to receive the free gift of salvation that His life, His death, His resurrection provides for you. And my prayer today is that you would take that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
Maybe you have questions. We'd love to answer those this morning. Maybe you want to fill out a connection card and drop that off at the welcome table. We'd love to be in touch with you and to help you take that step. Maybe you're ready to take that step now. I'd encourage you simply to respond here in just a little bit. Just to walk down, grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand and just say, I need to take that step of trusting Jesus as my Savior. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus here this morning and it's been a rough week, it's been a rough year, it's been a rough decade. And you just simply need just to experience rest this morning. You'll find that in the Lord. That encourage you just to pause right now. Climb up in his lap. Experience that rest today. I want to encourage you, church family, that as we leave from gathering this morning, there is a world around us filled with people who are looking for something to satisfy the deepest longings of their heart. And you and I know that the only thing that will do that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. May we be faithful to share that hope we found with them. Father, we ask this morning you would work, convict, encourage, equip us to do what you've called us to do. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this moment of rest in you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand, give you the opportunity to respond to the Lord this morning. If we can pray for you, we'd love to do that. You respond as the Lord leads.